Uh, We are going to be looking at Psalm 27 this morning, if you want to turn there with me. Psalm 27, we're, we're just going to be looking at a handful of the verses, not the, not the entire psalm, pretty much the beginning and the end. Um, the first few verses read like this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me, to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with... The same hearts that we just sang about, Lord. Hearts of confidence, knowing what you have done, you have completely done on our behalf. You have taken those who have walked in rebellion to you, and you have given us life, eternal life, through the death of our Lord and Savior. You have vanquished every foe that can come against us. Sin and death itself, our great enemy is now done for those who have placed their faith in you. And we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for the confidence that you have given us as we trust in you and you alone. In this life, and for all the ages to come. We thank you, Lord, when we pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The message this morning is about confidence. Uh, as, as we read at the very end of verse 3, um, in, in spite of all of David's adversaries, he says, I will be confident, and he explains why throughout the beginning of those first three verses. And, and so I wanted to take some time this morning to talk about the confidence that we have in God. Confidence is, is important for life. You know, we, we, we try to build ourselves up and, 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 and encourage ourselves with our own words when you're going in for a job interview or or going to talk to somebody that you're uncomfortable with interacting with, and, and you try to build your own confidence up so that you don't waver in your words, so you don't look scared. And, and that helps in life. It helps when you, when you interact with a variety of different things and, and uncertain things in life, to have confidence as you walk through those, those different aspects of life. It, it kind of helps make things easier. So we like to have confidence, but we also know in, intrinsically that confidence is a very shaky thing. It's, it's very fickle, and, and you look at something like somebody like the Apostle Peter in the, the Gospel of Matthew at chapter 16, where Jesus is asking a question of, who do, you, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And then Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. You are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of death shall not prevail against this. Now, I assure you, I assure you that Peter, after this, is feeling pretty good about himself. You know, and he's, he's looking around at the other disciples. Everybody else kind of takes a step back from answering the question, and Peter steps up and says, I'll answer this question. You're the son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And and Jesus says, you're absolutely right. You've nailed it. You've given the perfect answer for who I am. And and Peter is looking around. And then on top of that, he's like, Simon Barjona, you are Peter. You are Petros. You are the rock. And and Peter's got to be looking around at the other disciples like, yeah, nailed that. Like totally walking with his chest out and his shoulders back, like, I have got this. I am the man right now. And then, just three verses later, Peter is standing before Jesus as Jesus is explaining how he is going towards Jerusalem so that he would die on the cross. And then, and then Peter stands in front of him with all of this bravado, new bravado that he has. And he's like, I will never let you die on the cross. You will not die. I won't let it happen. And to that, Jesus looks Peter in the face and says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not on the side of God, but of men. Can you, if you could just crawl into Peter's skin for a second there, just try to think of all that just transpired. Think about the uncreated creator of all things, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, looks straight down at Peter in the eyes and says, You are an offense to me. That's humbling. And he, it's not like he didn't just say that. He called the dude Satan to his face. Like, you're Satan. Get behind me. Like, all of the confidence that Peter had just a few minutes earlier has quickly washed away. Shoulders slumped. Like, oh, man, he called me Satan. <laughs> he said, I'm on offense to him. He said, I'm not on the side of God. I'm on the side of man. And, and you have to, the funny thing is to me, you have to, you have to be thinking that later on, Disciples all sitting around, and there's Peter, and they're like looking at him like, nice work, Rock. (laughs) You really pulled that one off. Way to swing for the fences. It's like in a split second, he's... He's gone from hero to zero in no time flat. He's, he's gone from the guy who can answer the question perfectly to the guy who is just stumbling around. And, and that's, that's what we have a tendency to like about Peter. You know, He has a, a foot-shaped mouth. He, he makes mistakes. He, he, he'll step out and he'll, and he'll walk on water. And then the next thing you know is his faith is waning as his eyes are taken off from Christ and he's, and he's drowning. And, and we look at that and we can empathize. We can sympathize with a man like this. 
going through tough situations in life. And it reminds us that confidence is a shaky thing. It's here one second, everybody's your friend, everybody's on your side, everybody's looking to you to come through. And then you stumble and you fall and, and suddenly all that confidence you just had is dissipated in front of you. And you don't trust anything you're going to say. You don't trust anything that you're doing. You question everything about your life. Confidence is a difficult thing to grasp. And where do we go to get it? Where do we go to get confidence that is unshakable? The world answers questions like that with, you know, get a good education. Go as far as you can in school. Establish yourself. It'll make things easier for you. You can have confidence in that. Take care of your body. You know, go out and, and eat the right things and do the right things and, and, and physically get yourself in shape. Take care of your retirement. Make the, make the money. Get the stuff that will give you security, the right type of insurance and all of those things that will make you feel strong. Marry the right person. Have kids. Buy the right house. Have the right car. Then you will feel confident. That's where you will find security. You'll have something to be proud of. You'll have secured the best for yourself and for your family. And you'll feel solid. You'll feel like you're standing on something solid. Unfortunately, the older you get, and it doesn't take long, the more you realize eh, those things are like a bubble that are so easily popped. They're here one day and they can be gone the next. Uh, I watched a documentary on Bernie Madoff and, and the whole Ponzi scheme that he put together and watching people who were interviewed, who, were, who walked through life doing all the right things and, and they felt so solid and secure and you could see it written all over their face. It was like one moment they had everything that they could possibly desire and then the next moment finding out it was all just paperwork. It was nothing. All the money is gone. And then sitting there going, now, now what am I going to do? I've done everything right, and now I have nothing. I have no confidence left inside of me. I feel like a fool. So where do we really go for confidence? As we just read in this text, there's one place where you can find confidence in life, and it comes from God alone, the one who cannot be shaken Again, Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The first thing I want to say is, I'm not reading through the entire psalm, but you could read through it on your own later. But I want you to understand before we even look at these first couple of words here, is that this is a very personal very personal writing by David. You see that because when he talks about his enemies throughout this text, he's not talking about the enemies of Israel in general. That's not his point. He's saying, these are my enemies. These are the ones who are coming against me, my own personal foes. Possibly believed to be Absalom, and, and as he is 
chased David outside of Jerusalem. And, and now he's, David is looking back going, these are the foes who are coming against me. They have a personal vendetta against me, even those who were closest to me. Now my entire world is shaken down to its core because my own son is after me. He is my personal enemy. And that is important to remember. Because this is not some generalized picture of an enemy. This is very personal for David. Yet his confidence, his lack of fear, comes in a very personal place. He has an all-powerful, unchanging, self-sufficient, sovereign God who is his light. This God who he worships is his salvation. He says, it's, he's my strength. These are the words that he uses. The Lord, Jehovah, is my light, my salvation. He is my strong tower, my defense. He's not just making generalized terms. He's not just making theoretical or theological statements about God being light and salvation and strength. He's saying these attributes of God belong to me because he is mine. He is my light. David says this over and over again throughout the Psalms. In Psalm 5, he says, Give heed to, my vo- give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you will I pray. Or in Psalm 16, 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. For Psalm we all love, Psalm 23, starts off by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not wander. Psalm 28, where he says, To you, uh, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. My point is that Confidence in God does not come, come about by some remote knowledge of things about him. You can spend all the time you want and just read things about God and know more things about God and be able to stand in front of other people and say, let me tell you all the things about God and who he is and his characteristics and how he's revealed himself. I have all this information. I, all this information. I know about God. That's not where confidence lies for David, and it's not where it lies for us either. It's not knowing about things about God. It's about knowing Him personally, having a relationship with Him that allows you to say, this is, this is who God is, but more than that, I want you to know He's mine. I belong to Him. I walk in relationship with him. That's where my confidence lies. In my very personal, meaningful, intimate relationship with him. For the psalmist, God is not just some distant, superficial association, not at all. It is personal for him. His relationship with his God is one that is cherished, that is his treasure above all else. Even the words of God himself, he says, it's like honey to my lips. It's something I hold so dear to myself that everything else is just some 
faint shadow to me. That's my relationship with God. He is my light. He is my salvation. He is my strength. My life and future is in the hands of one who I love and who loves me. And it's easy to ask yourself, what would best describe your relationship with God this morning? Is it a superficial association based on just things you know about God? Is it one in which you treat God like somebody you pass in the hallways at work? And you kind of give him the head nod like, hey, like I know who that guy is. <laughs> He's married. I think he has a couple of kids. That's about it. Drives like a brown Honda or something like that. I don't know. Is that your relationship with God? Where I know, yeah, I know some things about him. I go to church, you know, somewhat regularly. And, and every once in a while I pray, and I don't read all that much, but, but I, you know, I know God. He has something to do with my life. Is that your relationship with him? Or do you hear David's intimate description of his relationship with his God, and does your heart leap with joy as you agree with him that Jehovah God is your light and your salvation and your own personal strength. He is your strong tower that holds you and secures you in everything that you do, in every aspect of your life. And the reason I ask this question is because the difference between a head nod God, a high five God that you know kind of things about, and an intimate relationship with God, the difference between those two things is the difference between walking through life where God helps you, you run to him when you're in desperate need, which we all do, but other than that, you're kind of looking for light and salvation and strength and all kinds of other things in life, and therefore, you're kind of faking your way through it, hoping things work out for you. The difference between a head nod relationship with God and an intimate relationship with him can be something far worse than that as well. It could be the difference between eternity in his presence and eternity separated from him, enduring the wrath of God forevermore. Because a salvific, a salvation-based relationship with God is not simply a head nod relationship where you kind of give him his due every once in a while when you remember to do it. It's based on intimacy, walking in relationship with him, talking to him, crying out to him in your desperate need, crying out to him in every aspect of your life. It's the difference between a life of confidence and a life of questioning. So David says, that God is his light, his salvation, and his strength. And we want to look at what that really means. As we, as we look at Scripture itself, what does it mean when David says that God is light? And it's interesting because this, th that phrase, that God is light, this is the only place in the Old Testament where that's said. 
where it's, this attribute is directly linked to God himself. There are many references to God of living in light in the Old Testament, surrounded by light, being the light that we seek. Talking about God as light, there's lots of diff- different types of references to God being in light, uh, but the light that we seek. But this verse directly refers to God as light. He's David's light. So to get a good parallel for this, we should look at things in the New Testament, things like 1 John 1, 5, where where the apostle writes that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. And we look at something like that, and and we ask, well, what, what does God being light mean for us? Why would that give us confidence in life? Why did it give David confidence in his deep, and personal struggle. First, in biblical terms, light is equal to truth itself. To say that God is light is to also say that God is truth. In other words, God is light means that God is the source and the measure of all that is true. Nothing is truly understood until it is understood in the light of God. John Locke, a a philosopher, not just a character on Lost. John Locke, he said that that truth is anything that aligns with reality. And Christians have taken that and saying, yeah, but reality can be based on our perceptions. Really, truth is anything that aligns with God's reality. If it is from him, and it aligns with his reality, then it is truth. Then it is something that we can hold on because he stands above our perception. He sees everything exactly for what it is. It is only through his truth that we can understand any truth at all. Everything else is just grabbing at clouds, hoping that that is what is reality, something that we can actually hold on to. And sometimes the the world gets it right. Sometimes they look at things and they can understand and perceive reality and be like, no, I'm getting pictures of this and I'm understanding parts of it, but they will never truly understand truth. We will never understand truth completely without having God as our light because God is truth. All truth flows from him. Now, how does God being our light or our truth fill us with confidence? Well, I answer that question by asking another. And that is to ask the question, what is the main value of light? Why is it that the first thing that I do when I walk into a room is flip on a light switch? Even if it's daytime, even if there's light streaming in through the window, what do I do? I flip on the light switch. It's what I do. I just walk around. I, I, I'm like, for you who have had kids before, that kid who's you're always yelling at, turn off the lights, because I just keep turning on lights. Wherever I go, I turn on lights, I turn on lights. I love light. I don't like it to be dark. I, I, I don't, if, it could, if we could get a little bit more light, then I want some more light, because I like to be able to see things. And that's what light does for us. It allows us to see obstacles in our way. Uh, if you think about what that, what that looks like, you know, you get up in the middle of the night and all the lights are out in the room, 
if we can have a video of ourselves where you could see everything, how ridiculous would it look like if you see a person wandering around in the dark? You know, they've, they've got their hands out and they're like, I don't want to stub my toe. I don't want to trip over anything. I don't want to step on the dog again. And you're just, you're just trying to like feel your way around until you can get to the light switch and see again. And, and that is what it looks like for a life apart from God. People may walk around with their chest out and big words coming out of their mouth, full of assurance and confidence, but you know deep inside they're going like this, like, okay, what is this? It's hard and it feels smooth. Is, is it something that will protect me or something that's going to destroy me? And that's why we love light. That's why God's light gives us confidence. He drives away misconceptions and misunderstandings in life. He takes us out of that, that picture that I get in my head all the time of, of people who walk apart from Christ. They're like perpetually walking through junior high. You know, junior high where everybody's like, everything is rumors. This person likes this person and this person, maybe this person likes me. And does my hair look okay? I'm not sure. I have no confidence. I heard a rumor that this teacher had this thing happen to him and this is what they believe and, and I don't really know. And, and where should I go from here and how should I live? And I'm just so scared all the time. That's what junior high is like for some people. And that's what life is like Sometimes. We're walking around in the darkness and the insecurity of the world when we don't have the light of God guiding us, driving away darkness and uncertainty. We are made safe from the darkness of this world when we walk in the light and the truth of God. And I want you to drink this in. I know I'm spending a lot of time in this one area, but really drink in that our safety and our joy is secured in God's light. And not just knowing things about God's truth, but having his truth sustain you. Walking in relationship with his light so that you can say, God is not just light, he's my light. He's the reason why I can walk with confidence. He's the reason why, unlike the rest of this world that is filled with hidden agendas, lurking shadows, making things sound like one thing, when in reality there's something completely different about them. Wandering around and saying, oh, here, this person has some truth, but really they were just trying to sell something in the end. Uh, where do I find any confidence? We find it in God. The, God has no darkness in him, as the apostle says. He is light. There is no darkness in him. He's not like the world. He has no small print. He has no hidden agenda. God is not like that, as one commentator wrote. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. With him there are no regrets. For those who come to God with their whole hearts, there is no disappointment, as Romans 5.5 5 tells us. Now hope, our hope that is in Christ, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. As I said, the world is trying to sell us a 
false sense of truth. They want, the, the world around you wants you to buy into their perception of what light is. And it looks good at times. It really does. It sounds good. Take care of number one. Get this education. Make your life align with the world around you in just the right way. Then you will feel safe and secure. But when it's done apart from God, there is no confidence. It only leads to more despair and more misery when things just don't go your way. The light of God, on the other hand, is the secure promise of hope, joy, and a life filled with confidence if we would walk in His light. Moving on from that, we see that David finds confidence not only in God being his light, but also in God being his salvation. The word in Hebrews for salvation here can also be directly translated as deliverance. And it is easy to see why the understanding of God being our deliverer in times of struggle would infuse us with great confidence. We love to go to Romans 8 for, for, uh, for prof- the profound effect it has on our hearts. It, it points us to us being the children of God adopted as his children, that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And then it feels, it gives us security. And, the, and then Paul takes us to a place of the world that seems to be falling apart. It's groaning in pain. But when you are in God, when Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he links you to this undeniable and unbreakable hope. To where he concludes in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be Against us. If he is your deliverer from sin and death and despair and the frailties of life and the frailties of who you are, then who can possibly war against you? If nothing can separate you from him, how else can you not be but a conqueror? A conqueror for all enemies. If he is for you, who can war against you? Which is exactly what the psalmist says here. It's very much like, going back to the junior high analogy, it's very much like if you walked down the hallways of your school in seventh grade. You know, you just come out of sixth grade, you're into seventh grade now, and now there's eighth graders around you, and in some places there's ninth graders around you, and and. And you're just this little kid and everything and everybody is a threat and you're not sure what to do and you have no confidence. But then just imagine yourself if you're walking down that same hallway and from the side comes your very best friend. And your best friend is the biggest, strongest, most powerful kid in the entire school. And he's looking at you all the time saying, you have nothing to worry because I'm always here with you and nobody's going to touch you. They're going to have to come through me and nobody's bigger than me. Your entire countenance would change at that point. 
I have a deliverer. I have somebody who is my salvation. Nobody's going to touch me. Nobody's going to hurt me because this guy is on my side. This is what God being our salvation looks like. If he is for us, who can possibly come against us? 1,600 years ago, this is, was exactly the point of a man named Chrysostom. He was brought before the Roman emperor, and he was threatened with banishment if Chrysostom wouldn't renounce Christ. At the time, you had to say, Caesar is Lord, that he is Lord over all. And if you didn't do that, you could be thrown in jail and persecuted. And for Chrysostom, who was a leader of the church, one of the leaders of the church at the time, he was brought before the Roman emperor who's telling him, you need to say that Caesar is Lord, that I am Lord, or I am going to banish you from this kingdom. To this, Chrysostom historically has recorded that he replied, you can't banish me for this world is my father's house. To this, the emperor said, well then, I'm going to put you to death. I'll take you out of this world because I have the power to do that. And again, Chrysostom, filled with confidence, said, no, you can't, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Now Chrysostom is getting frustrated. All right, I'll leave you here, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take away all of your treasures. I will make your life a living hell. I'm going to take away everything that you hold dear to yourself so that you will live in pain. To this, he answered, no, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven. Now the emperor is becoming very frustrated. And he says, if that be the case, I will drive you away from all men and you will be without a friend in this world. And Chrysostom said, no, you can't, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. And at this point, Chrysostom then cries out defiantly, I defy you. I will, he's saying, I will not say Caesar is Lord. Though in this worldly spectrum, you have all the power and all the authority and you can do whatever you want to me, I still defy you. For there is nothing that you can do that can hurt me. That is confidence. Confidence in a God who delivers. As I said The Roman emperor could do whatever he wants in this earthly realm that he wanted to to Chrysostom, but he couldn't take Christ from him. Chrysostom had a deliverer. He had a savior who transcends this world. And because of that, he was filled with confidence. Confidence that we have as well, that we can have as well. Confidence that can cause us to say things like, in whom shall I fear? Who should I be afraid of? If I have him, I have everything. What situation in my life can I truly walk in fear of if I have him? 
This entire world that I see is temporary. It's fading. It's waning away. It's a light that's already beginning to dim. And I have the eternal light. I have a Savior who cannot die, who holds my life in his hands. And for that reason, I have a confidence that cannot be shaken. I can say with Paul, if God is for me, who can be against me? I can say with David, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The third of these great images of God is the image of God as our strength or our stronghold for our life, our defense. David, at the time he wrote this psalm, he was clearly in need of refuge from his enemy. And he had found that refuge in God in the past, and therefore, because of his experience, he knew who to run to. He knew, if I am with God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but he is my strength. I've trusted him before, He's, he's put my feet on solid ground upon the rock and he will do so again. So I will continue on finding strength in him. I will continue on with no fear from what the world can do to me because I have God as my strength, as my stronghold, as my defense. David knew he had nothing to fear as long as God was his strength. And again, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians 6, we see this reiterated again. Well-known passage of the armor of God. We're going to look at Ephesians 6.10. Where we see Jesus Christ himself being, being the apex of this truth. God is our strength, our stronghold. But God is not just left in this ethereal, ambiguous place where we know some things about him, but there's so much we don't understand about him. No, he sent his son down to this earth so we can look and say, no, Jesus Christ is my strength. That is where I am strong, is in him. This is what Paul tells the church at Ephesus, he says in verse 10 of chapter 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He says, be strong. Have confidence. How? He goes on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this, dark, of, of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness, wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and have done everything to stand firm. He's saying, be strong, have confidence, put on the armor of God. He's the one who will secure you. He will be your living defense against any opposition that you might endure. Put on the spiritual armor, 
he says. Put it on for a spiritual battle. I say that because so often we, we look at verses like this and we're looking for checkboxes, the things that we can do. Let me do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and see now I'm strong because I've done all these things. And what we're doing is we're equipping ourselves with, with the physical attributes for a spiritual battle. And Paul's saying, this is not a physical war. This is a spiritual war. And you need to put on Christ if you're going to have confidence, if you're going to have strength. So he says, put on armor in the face of this battle because the world will threaten you. Satan, he says, will threaten you. He is real. And and to come back to Chrysostom, you can think of it in this way. The emperor being like Satan and Chrysostom being like us. And and he knows the things that threaten us and that we're afraid of. So he'll look at you and he'll say things like, your confidence is in Christ. I'm going to take away your treasures. All the things that you hold dear to yourself, I'm going to take them away one by one. Then what are you going to do? I know all the little things in your life that you're clinging to, that you find value in, that you find your identity in, and I'm going to one by one, I'm going to start stripping them away. Now what are you going to do? I'm going to isolate you from all of your friends. I'm going to bring a situation into your life to everybody, all these people who you had before, now they're turning your back on you one by one. People at work, people at home, friends, family. Now what are you going to do? The threats, they come. They're present. They come from Satan and they come in a very real way. What if I take away your health? What if I bring you to the point of death? Then what are you going to do? Now where are you going to find your strength, your salvation? How will you have confidence then? The only place to go for true confidence is in the armor that God provides. I'm just going to cruise over this because we don't have time, but Paul calls us to gird ourselves with truth, with the light of God. He calls us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness that he produces in us. He calls us to put on the helmet of salvation. Sounds very familiar to walk in the light of God, to walk in his salvation, the salvation that he provides, not the false security that the world does that can be taken away from you. He says, find strength in prayer, in walking in relationship with God, in his word, in his gospel. And all of this leads to boldness. As Paul continues on and he says, I want you to pray for me that I would be bold, that I would, I would put on the armor that God provides so that I can be bold because I'm afraid sometimes. I struggle. I've been beaten over and over again. I've been stoned. I don't want to go to the next town. It hurts. It hurts to keep doing this. Pray for me that I would continue to be bold, that I would put on the armor of God. And when you do, I will be bold to proclaim the gospel because my strength will be in Christ, not in myself. This is the war that we are all engaged in. And our light and our salvation and our strength 
comes from one place, and that is Christ himself. As we go back to Psalm 27, quickly David ends this chapter by preaching to himself, and that's why I wanted to quickly go back to this and end here. At the end of at verse 14, where the, chat, where, where the psalm ends, he says to himself, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. It's like he is saying, I know the battle is tough. I feel it. I'm in it. I know my desire might be to turn and run and look for security in something other than God. I know that that everything in me is saying, just give up. I want to quit. Everybody has turned their back on me. I'm ostracized ostracized from the world around me. I'm just so tired. I just want to quit. This isn't working out the way that I thought it was going to work out. I just want to quit. I'm done. Everybody looks at me and sees, you know, what a horrible dad I was and all my incompetence and all of my weaknesses. They're laid bare before the world around me. I just want to quit. And to that, he preaches to himself and he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David here is reminding his soul to not seek to pick up his own armor and start fighting the battle in his own strength, looking for his own salvation and his own light and his own strength. He's also preaching to himself not to do the opposite of that and just give up and quit. He's saying, wait on the Lord. And that takes confidence. That takes trust. I've been flying through all this. Well, maybe not flying, but I've been moving through all of this and, and I'm leaving out the reality of the situation and finding confidence in God in the midst of the trials and the tribulation and the confusion of life is not easy. We don't know the end from the beginning. Only God does. And we've got to walk in the time frame that he has placed us in. And as we do that, we need to wait on the Lord with confidence to not pick up and fight whatever you're struggling with in your life right now in your own strength or not to just turn away from it and quit, to not do those things. You must wait on the Lord and it is not easy. It's not easy. We all know that from personal experience. It's this waiting on the Lord, when it's done in confidence, it's not simply sitting on your hands and being like, I won't do anything. I just quit. It's not picking up and doing things in your own strength. Waiting on the Lord sometimes can look like, be still and know that I am God. Keep your eyes focused on me. In in your own passivity, keep your eyes focused on me and I will hold on to you in your weakest times. Sometimes that's what waiting on the Lord looks like. Other times, waiting on the Lord is continuing to be active and continuing to pursue victory, but it's done in a very specific way. To wait on the Lord, to actively wait on the Lord, looks like this. I don't care what the outcome is. The outcome is in your hands, and I trust whatever you have for me. And that is not easily done. But it comes from a place of confidence. 
confidence in who God is, who you are to him and who he is for you that allows you to say, you know what, God, I don't know what the future looks like, but I'm going to continue to actively pursue this battle that you've placed me in and I'm just going to trust whatever the outcome is, it's your outcome. And I will embrace that. And again, I know this is not hard. In our family, we face this day by day. We ask for healing for my wife. I ask for it multiple times a week, but every time the prayer ends in the same place. God, whatever you want, though. I don't want her to be healed until you want her to be healed. And if that's not until she dies and goes home, then I want what you want. I will wait on you. And I say this not because I'm standing up here going, oh, I am so spiritually strong and above anybody else. I do that out of weakness because that's what I need to do because I don't have any place else to go. I'm just going to wait on him. And as I've said in this pulpit before, if you're not going to walk by faith, by God's grace, sometimes he's going to put you in a place where you have to walk by faith so that you can learn what real confidence is when God is your light, when he is your salvation and he is your strength. And sometimes we got to go through really cruddy things to get there. And it is a blessing to learn what it is to truly wait on God, to be still and know who he is to actively pursue the fight and trust his outcome above your own. Let's live in that place because that is where confidence is found in him, walking in relationship to his truth, to his salvation and his strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are patient for we are weak. We struggle and we strive and we forget that you are king over our universe and over this world. And we clutch onto things in our own strength and we fall short over and over again. Yet you continue to love us. You continue to show us patience. You continue to give us your truth. You continue to show us your salvation. And you continue to sustain us in our weakest moments. And for that, we are humbled And we are grateful. Take our lives now. Use them in any way you please and bring glory to your name that we may honor you and find joy in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.